Our scripture today comes from Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, this is that time in our worship where we continue to worship you in our hearts, but also look to receive from you. Because we know that a part of worshiping you is offering our lives to you and how we actually live our lives. So teach us how we can do that. Amen.
So over the last several weeks, we've been exploring together a, a biblical theme, a thread, because it's woven throughout the scriptures, that may or may not feel comfortable to you yet. It may not be something you're used to. Maybe it doesn't feel like it quite fits yet, and that's perfectly okay. This isn't something that we're used to thinking about or used to talking about in the church, even though once you see it, it's everywhere. And it's a theme that we were made to reign. In the very first chapter of the Bible, we're told that uh, we were made in God's image so that we would rule. In the very last chapter of the Bible, it says that we will reign with Christ forever and ever. And in our passage, um, we also have that same theme affirmed to us at the beginning. Since then, you were raised with Christ Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died. That's what baptism represents. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And so Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. That's the place of authority. That's where Jesus shares the authority of the Father, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. He said this just uh, before his uh, ascension. And now we are not only seated with Christ, as we heard last week, we are in Christ, who is in that place of authority. I know I used to read this passage and a similar passage in Colossians, and I think, what does that mean? I'm, or a similar passage in Ephesians. Um, and, and I would think, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's reaffirming that theme that we reign with Christ and in Christ. Now, in real estate, it's not that I've ever been a real estate broker, but I, I'm told that if someone were to ask, okay, what determines the value of a piece of property? There are three answers. Location, location, location. Um, this week, um, there was a house on our street that went up for sale. Um, a dear friend of ours died a few weeks ago. She was in her 90s. Um, we've been interacting with the family, and uh, they mentioned to us that they would be meeting with a realtor on Monday, and that the house would probably go up for sale sometime this week. So I'm coming home for lunch on Wednesday, and there are cars lined up. And no, actually, I was, I was going home from lunch or going to my office from lunch, there were cars lined up and there were people in the cars and I just assumed it was family members waiting to get into the house. And so I started waving, but no one waved back. <laughs> and then as I'm going, I thought, oh yeah, they were going to put the house up. And sure enough, they were lined up. And when I came home that afternoon, they were still lined up. Over the course of the next less than 24 hours, they had 20 people that saw the house. Seven people um, gave a bid on the house. I guess the market is pretty hot right now. But I can kind of understand because it's a lot of house for the money. When I heard how much they were selling the house for, I thought, that's a pretty good price. And I'm imagining part of the reason is the location. I mean, we really like our street. We think it's a good street. But it's not the GE plot. It's not Niskayuna. And I'm sure if the same house was in Niskayuna, it would have brought a whole lot more. Location, location, location. My sister lives in a three-bedroom ranch house, no basement, little yard in Southern California at the base of the, the Granada Mountains or hills. Ten years ago, she told me that house was worth a million dollars. What's the difference? 
location, location, location. Well, the value and the quality of our reigning is determined by where we reign, by the location. And so the President of the United States, we'll, we'll use the word reign, okay, but he does his ruling in a place called the White House. Congress does its ruling in a place called the Capitol. The Supreme Court does its ruling in a place called, well, the Supreme Court building, often also known as the Marble Palace. But the thing is, you know, with the president, he doesn't just work there. He lives there. And so when we talk about being in Christ, we're not just talking about reigning in Christ and then going home. We're talking about not only reigning in Christ, but we're talking about living in Christ. And that, as much as anything, determines the quality, the quality of our reigning. And so I pointed out last week that this idea of our being in Christ or in Christ Jesus or in the Lord uh, occurs 132 times in Paul's writings. And then I got to thinking about it more. I realized, oh, no, it's more than that. Sometimes he simply says, in him, referring to Christ, or with him. And when I did my own sort of tally of all of that, there's about 190 times that the Apostle Paul refers to our being in Christ. That's a lot. And you begin to get the sense that this is maybe the central theme in the Apostle Paul's writings, that we, because of what Christ has done for us and we've died with him, now we can live this life in Jesus Christ. Of course, that raises the question of how. Now, if you live in the White House, you have a lot of things that are at your disposal. And just quickly going through this passage today, we see a few things that are at our disposal if we live in Jesus Christ. We have the wardrobe of Christ. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Paul says, clothe yourselves with that wardrobe. We have the endurance of Christ, especially in putting up with each other. We also have the forgiveness of Christ, actually forgiving one another. We have the love of Christ that binds us together. We have the peace of Christ that rules over our hearts and our relationships. We have the thankfulness of Christ. We have the message of Christ, the gospel, the good news. And finally, we have the spirit of Christ that enables so many things to happen, including spirit-filled worship. Just a sampling of what's available to us because, hey, we're, we're in Christ now. Our status has been elevated considerably. And living there and reigning there, we have his resources at our disposal. And the thing is, as Paul says in verse 11, um, here there is no Jew or Gentile, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. We are not only in Christ, he is in us. And so we live in him and he lives in us. Why wouldn't we try to learn how to live in Christ? So where we live, where we work is so important for the quality of our work. Location, location, location. And actually, we live in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then there's how we reign. And um, you know, last week, we talked about 
And I've often said during this whole series that um, reigning isn't what you think it is. Now, Jesus said we don't lord it over other people here. That's not how we reign. We serve and we shine. Yeah, we're like stars shining in the dark. And while the ancients believed that the stars determined the affairs of men, ruled over the affairs of men, Paul switches to another aspect of that metaphor. He says, oh no, we're to shine in the darkness. It's our presence as much as anything that will influence the people around us, the spaces around us. I've been saying that you're already reigning. Your attitude, your words, your actions are already influencing the people around you for good or for ill. Right? So that's, that's already happened. So our presence is really important. Last week we talked about not allowing our circumstances to rule over us because then it's likely that our presence is going to be compromised and contaminated. So we talked about, well, at the end of my sermon, I talked about Paul's little tutorial on how not to allow our circumstances to reign over our lives, but for us to reign over them. And, uh, and so if you haven't seen or heard that sermon, I encourage you to go to our website. You'll find a podcast as well as a video. Today I'd like to talk a bit about our reigning over our feelings. Because that's what Paul does in the very next paragraph after he talks about our reigning in Christ. Um, and I'm going to define feelings in this way this morning. Sometimes spiritual writers will define feelings as including both our desires and our emotions. And both our desires and our emotions are things we feel, right? And they can rule over us. They can rule over our lives. They can kind of take control. The things that we desire, whether it's food or alcohol or sex or anything, it can begin to reign over our lives. And so um, that's going to compromise our ability to be people of influence, to reign in the way and in the likeness of Jesus. And certainly our emotions are the same way. When our emotions take over, that affects our ability to be the presence of Christ to people. And so, um, it's not going to work, by the way, to try to bully our desires. It's not going to work to try to control our emotions. Just stop, will you? And sometimes I think, we think that we have. I, I, I'm not feeling it anymore. But you know, <laughs> five minutes later, there it goes in an unexpected way. You know, um, counselors will say that if we bury our emotions, they're going to come out sideways. In one way or another, when, we, when we're not expecting it, they're going to come out. So just as we can't control our circumstances, we can't control our desires and feelings. That's just an exercise in fertility. And so we, but we can't them. There's some things we can do to sort of temper them or regulate them so they have their proper place and proportion. And that's what we want. We don't want to get rid of our desires. You know, some people, because of COVID, aren't able to taste food. That just takes the joy out of eating, doesn't it? Our desires are a part of what makes our lives rich and full, and likely our emotions, even our negative emotions, the ability to feel sad, feel grieved, even angry, and yes, sometimes afraid. That's a helpful feeling when you're in trouble <laughs> so that you actually leave that situation. But we want again, want again to, to keep these desires and keep these emotions in their proper place and proportion even as we 
allow them to add to the richness of our lives. So how do we do that? Well, obviously this is an incredibly complex subject and I'm not gonna pretend to know or cover all the territory. But I do think that the Apostle Paul clues us into one of the most important ways that we can regulate our emotions and our desires. And it just so happens that it's a word that he uses a whole lot, just as he uses the phrase, in Christ or in Christ Jesus. In fact, he uses this word so much that there's a whole book that I read recently that's devoted to how often Paul uses this word and what he means by it. He uses it 62 times. And then when you add to it similar words and ideas, I counted up about 135 times. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about thankfulness. Giving thanks. And this isn't going to be a surprise even to people who aren't Christians. Counselors know the importance of gratitude. People in recovery also know the importance of gratitude. And so, um, let me just show a, a couple of passages of Scripture here. Um, and I love this passage because it brings together our residents and thankfulness. And these often are brought together in Scripture. So, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. Okay? Rooted and built up in Him. Paul loves to mix metaphors. And so he begins by using an agricultural metaphor of, of digging deep roots, and then that, a construction metaphor. On this foundation, you can, you can build a life on gratitude, on thank, thankfulness strengthened in the faith as you were taught. That's why I need to be in the scriptures. Just reminding me of this stuff. Reminding me of where I live and what it means to live in Jesus Christ. And overflowing with thankfulness. See how the two are brought together, living in Christ and being thankful. Another passage, a really um, uh, a common, uh, a commonly quoted passage when it comes to thanksgiving. By the way, I think this may, these may be the three shortest verses in the Bible, combined verses in the Bible. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think it's pretty close. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So again, in Christ Jesus, that's where we live. And what God's will for us to, uh, it, as we live in Christ Jesus is to give thanks in all circumstances. So obviously, to the Apostle Paul, this is important. I, you know, I have quite a bit of Scripture memorized, and, and quite a bit of Paul's, uh, quite, a, quite a few passages are in the Apostle Paul, and I got to thinking how many of those passages talk about thankfulness and gratitude. So clearly, um, this is an important theme. So here's this diagram I shared with you, uh, I think it's probably three weeks ago. And it was in the context of talking about these three roles that we play in ruling. Just as the federal government has the executive branch and the legislative branch and Supreme Court, we have these three roles in the Bible of prophet, priest, and king. And how all three of those roles that are a part of Jesus also are roles that we play in reigning. So uh, we use the acronym PTL, praise the Lord, okay? And the P in this case is for planning, purposeful planning. Um, some of us are, are, 
extreme planners. Uh, someone came up to me after the la that sermon and said, I have my vacations planned for seven years. My jaw kind of dropped. I don't come close. It's a major accomplishment for me to even plan my next vacation. It, when it's going to happen, much less what I'm going to do when I'm on vacation. So, but even then, once that time comes, I'm beginning to plan, okay, what are we going to do today? Or what are we going to do this week? So that's a part of how we bring cosmos out of chaos. That beautiful harmony out of disorder. And, and that's really what we're joining Jesus in doing in this world. That's why we're reigning to bring order and this beautiful harmony and shalom out of that chaos. And so planning, executing those plans, revising those plans is a part of how we do that. That's the P. I'm going to switch over to the other side, to the L. And that's listening, learning. Um, it, it, it's helpful in making plans to, to learn as much as we can, to get as much information. And... And as we think about the purpose of our lives, to, to be in the scriptures, to learn what God's purpose for our life is. So that listening and learning hopefully is informing our planning. That's the L part. And the logical, the, you know, the logical way to come at all of this would, would be to assume that how we bring order out of chaos, how we bring cosmos out of chaos, is by placing a priority on planning. I mean, the stuff that has to be made right and so let's just get to work, make some plans, execute those plans, make sure we, you know, we learn, take in information, revise those plans along the way, and make things right. But biblically speaking, that's not the most important thing. Biblically speaking, the most important thing is worship. And that actually makes some sense. Because when our focus is on God, we're going to be less anxious. When our focus is on God, we're much more likely to have a sense of where he is leading and how he is speaking. By the way, I'm convinced that a part of living in Christ is being led by Christ and him speaking into our lives in a thousand ways because he's everywhere. Wherever we are, we live in him. But we're going to be much more attuned to that if we're giving thanks. Think about it. If I'm giving thanks to God, I'm thinking about God, aren't I? Paul said last week, rejoice always. Again, I'll say rejoice. The Lord is near. Just remembering that God is here in the midst of my difficult circumstances. And for Paul, it was, he was in prison when he wrote that letter to the Philippians. So, so when, we're, when we're thanking of God, we're thinking of God. When we're thanking of God, thanking God, we're also talking to God. And we're putting ourselves in a position to hear what he may be saying to us, or sense where he may be leading us. But it puts everything in perspective. And so the, the way we worship God, there's many ways to worship God, and we have several ways even within our worship on a Sunday morning, but the one way that Paul emphasizes because it's something we can do all the time, and that is to give thanks. To give thanks. And uh, again, there's a certain logic to that. 
You know, so how is it that our desires get too strong, overwhelming? How is it that our emotions also tend to overwhelm us? I, I think sometimes it's because we're bored. Or we're afraid. Or we just want more out of life. And there's nothing wrong, wrong with wanting more out of life. But if we give thanks, if we notice the things that are in our lives right now and give thanks to God for them, and the order will switch from time to time. Sometimes gratitude precedes thanksgiving. It's because I see something and I'm grateful that I give thanks to God. And sometimes it's in the process of giving thanks that I feel gratitude, that I, that I appreciate the thing that I'm giving thanks for. I think that happens often in worship. Worship music. Paul talks about spirit-filled worship music. We may start singing, giving thanks to God, even though we're not feeling anything. But over the course of offering thanks, we begin to feel that gratitude. And you know, when you're in that space of worshiping God, feeling the gratitude, offering that gratitude, you're not thinking, oh, I wish I could have a hamburger right now. In that moment, you're just so grateful to know that God is that sort of God. You're grateful for God, you're grateful for the music, you're grateful for your brothers and sisters, and that gratitude, well, we're no longer bored. And we may not even be thinking about the problem that I was obsessing about when I came to worship. And suddenly I'm not yearning for a, a different life. And so there's a logic here. If I'm giving thanks, then the sorts of conditions that are conducive to our feelings and our desires or emotions and desires being out of place and proportion, things are going to be in, in a, a more of a right place. Huh? It, just, it just makes sense. So I, I, some time ago, um, I was talking about thankfulness. And uh, um, I think I had just read a book by Ann Voskamp. And um, she talks about making a list of a thousand things, just starting a list, every day adding to that list. And we actually put out some uh, notebooks for people to take with them. Well, I found a little clip, and I thought I would just play that now. I'm from Ontario, Canada, and I'm married to a farmer. We fell in love when I was 16, the only one I've ever dated, and we've been married now for 18 years. We've been blessed with half a dozen kids, four boys and two girls. I'm pretty much plain Anne, without even a fanciful E. I enjoy reading stacks of books, baking bread, spending time with my kids, working in the garden, and I like snapping photos of my family and my world. In 2008, I decided to try and live Eucharisteo, which is the biblical Greek word that literally means to give thanks. What I believe Jesus did each and every day, regardless of his circumstances. 1,000 Gifts is my story of my fight for joy and thanksgiving in the midst of everyday challenges and some deeper, darker parts of my past. This is me working that process out, finding a way to stay awake to this one wild and beautiful life.
would you, right where you are, take the journey towards fullness of joy with me? Begin to wake to the wonder of the small. Begin to find joy in what really matters, in who really matters. Start a gratitude journal. Begin counting the gifts, counting all the ways he loves us, counting a thousand more, never stopping, so that when you wake in the morning, you can't help but unfold your hands to the heavens. You can slow down, and you can trust, and you can find the joy you're aching for by offering him thanks for each and every moment, because this is how you begin to spend your one life well. So that makes sense, doesn't it? We want joy. Last week, Paul talks about rejoicing in the Lord. And, and what will fuel that joy and fuel that rejoicing are giving thanks for God's good gifts. So what do we give thanks to God for? Well, I have a short list I've been keeping in my mind. And I have found it really helpful. And we'll, I'm just going to very briefly go through these items on this short list. They all start with C. And um, each of them, on their own, is filled with possibilities. Filled with possibilities for things to give thanks to God for. And so, for example, creation. I mean, this incredibly beautiful, resplendent world. I, you know, on Sunday mornings, um, as it's beginning to get light, I look out my my window in my study and there's this huge tree that pretty much fills that that space and at this time of the year you know, all the leaves are off but those little little branches it's just a beautiful beautiful scene as things get light and and the sun begins to rise there's all that creation out there but also in here the people that are in this building with me right now are God's creation. And they create stuff. These pews and in my office are all these books. And you know, last week, uh, Beth talked about how no snowflake looks the same. Well, I have all these books, and none of the books looks the same. They all were designed and created by people with gifts who took the materials that God has created and created books and fonts and titles, and book covers, and furniture. And all of it is God's creation. And then there's new creation. This was a big deal for the early Christians. Life was hard. Even if you had a lot of money, you didn't have hospitals. You didn't have doctors. You didn't have the medications we have today. They didn't have dentists. Life was difficult. We have this pandemic. About every 30 years or so, there would be a plague that would sweep through Europe and, and usually decimate about a third of the population in all of its cities. Earthquakes. You know, Antioch was a major uh, location and, and home for, for the early church. The whole city was destroyed by earthquakes every few decades. And then many Christians were slaves. They didn't have an inheritance. <laughs> Their masters had an inheritance. But in Christ, they had an inheritance. They had a place in the world to come, the new creation. And they couldn't wait. 
And so one of the things that's unique about Christian Thanksgiving, it doesn't just focus on the past or even the present. It focuses on the future, not just hoping, but already giving thanks for the future that is guaranteed us in Jesus Christ. Why? Lynn said it. Because he promised. And he sealed that promise with his own blood. It's guaranteed, folks. We don't know all the details. All I know is going to be a whole lot better than what I can imagine. So we can thank God in the midst of our troubles for that future, that new creation. And then there's Christ himself. He's amazing. The four gospels, his birth, his teachings, his miracles. And yes, we live in Christ Jesus now, and I mentioned just a few of the things earlier that are available to us in Christ. Christ himself is just so awesome. There's more than enough for us to thank God for every day for the rest of our lives just in Jesus Christ. And then there's specifically his cross. Sharon was just listening yesterday to a talk by um, Fleming uh, Rutledge, who uh, is an Episcopal pastor. She's written a 600-page book on the cross. I've actually read it. Have you read it, Sharon? I think you did, yeah. And that's just one book on the cross. There's so much just in the cross itself in terms of what God has done for us, the parable of the cross, what it teaches us, and, and just simply the truth that God loves us this much that he would die for us while we were his enemies. It's astounding. And then... He takes all of our sins and washes it away. Past, present, and future. That guilt, that shame, so much here to be grateful for. And then there's the covenant community, the Christian community. I, I, I'm trying to learn from Paul about this. Um, yeah, we're a work in progress always, but there's this ideal. And Paul held to that ideal. He loved and preached and wrote about that ideal, and there's reality. And, and these letters probably wouldn't have been written unless there were difficulties going on in the churches. But he didn't let those difficulties get in the way of seeing even partial realizations of God's dream for his people. Whenever it was realized at all, he celebrated. He gave thanks. Rather than focusing on what wasn't happening, he focused on what was happening. As we saw in the book of Philippians, focusing on what's right and true and noble and beautiful. So if we're looking, there's so much to celebrate in one another. And finally, there's that constant flow of blessings into our lives every day that Ann Voskamp is talking about. Every day there are new mercies. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And some of those gifts are brand new, and some of those gifts are the old gifts in new clothing. So every sunrise is new. Every appearance of the moon is new. Its shape, its size, where it is, how, you know, when it's coming up behind that tree, at what time of the year, um, the clouds, the mist, a constant flow, a constant flow of blessings. And when we can practice, and it takes practice, giving thanks, not just being grateful, but giving thanks, and not waiting to be grateful, 
to give thanks, but making that the most important thing we do in life, even before our planning and even before our listening, because those things become much more possible when we're giving thanks. When we can do that, we not only put ourselves in a position to rule and reign over our emotions and our desires, but actually to rule over the world. Brothers and sisters, let's thank God for this wild and precious life. You made this world, you made this world, you made this world. Thank you, thank you. You gave me life, you gave me life, you gave me life, thank you, thank you.
Thank you.